Welcome back to the Brawn Body Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be breaking down some of the easiest ways that you can gain full body functional strength. And obviously, as you get stronger, you'll see an increase in muscle size as a result in most cases. So I'm going to break down exactly what I'm doing and what I have been doing in order to achieve better strength gains. I'm also going to touch on a couple myths that I'm seeing people completely go uh, haywire with in the supplement industry. Um, It seems like people are really buying into all the uh, pyramid schemes and ambassador marketing and all this other stuff and just buying things that they don't really need. Um, So I'm going to address that briefly. And on another exciting note, I'm going to be bringing up our 1,000 follower on Instagram giveaway and contest that we'll be running here in the near future. All kinds of exciting announcements and all kinds of great information coming up. So without further ado, let's dive in. So when it comes to increasing muscle strength and gaining strength, I actually would like to argue that the process is very easy and simple, but the problem we're facing is so many people trying to overcomplicate it or make it look cooler or change it up and diversify and deviate from what we know works and what already works. And what we know works are heavy compound lifts. Picking functional movements, functional activities, things like the bench press, the overhead press, pull-ups, rows, squats, deadlift, lunge, hip thrust, uh, step up even, that kind of, those kind of exercises, those big multi-joint compound lifts that involve a, a lot of muscle and a lot of stabilization. Those exercises, doing those day in and day out with heavy loads is going to build strength. You will get stronger. However, a lot of people I see, and some of them at the gym, are on what they would call a strength program. They're starting out their workout with hamstring curls. They're starting out their workout with leg extensions or bicep curls. Now, there is a time and a place for doing things like that. Maybe you have weakness in the quads or the hamstrings, and you want to uh, address that by isolating them first. Maybe you have issues with the bicep and you want to isolate that before you move on to everything else. That's called the priority principle and Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger was huge on that. But they don't have that issue. They said that their you know strength gain program or muscle gain program that they're on deals with a lot of machines, deals with a lot of isolation work. So You know, their arm day, which I don't officially have an arm day in my own split, but their arm day is like three or four bicep movements, three or four tricep movements, that sort of thing. They train their core with things like crunches, reverse crunches. And again, I'm not saying that these exercises are bad, but I'm saying the way that they're being programmed in people's splits and workouts is not effective for their goal of gaining strength. And people look at me and they're like, you know, how are you gaining so much strength so quick? How could you go from 525 pound hip thrust as one rep max to a seven rep max in a month time? I'm telling you, you have to focus on these heavy compound lifts. So going back to what I do on a typical upper body day, I'm really hitting press and pull. 
I'm not really wasting my time with, you know, straight arm lat pull down or uh, pec flies or pec deck or anything like that. I'm sticking to those multi-joint compounds pulling. And for the most part, my sets are about three, maybe four, and my reps are three to five. Low rep range, high load. And ironically enough, the research actually supports that this is safe in all uh, populations. I'll link to some of the studies in the show notes so you can check them out and read them over at brawnbodytraining.com. But one of my professors, actually, Dr. Merzwicki, has researched the differences in moderate intensity versus high intensity resistance training in the geriatric population, older adults. And what he found in multiple studies is those higher loads, especially that 87 to 93% range, those are more effective than those moderate intensity, 57 to 63% of your one rep max loads. So those three to five rep um, sets, if you're pushing hard in them and you're really working, you're going to see more results, not just in strength, but also in other components like power. You're going to see more gains there than you would in that lower load area, in that hypertrophy zone. Uh, this is another one that is backed up by Pavel, uh, the Russian trainer who introduced kettlebells to the, to uh, America. And he said, you know, why are people wasting so much time doing 15 to 20 reps of the deadlift? He's like, you know, how often in life do you functionally pick up something that weighs 500 pounds and then put it back down? You might do it once or twice. So he's like, in order to get the most out of the deadlift, load it heavy and do it a few times. Low rep, high load. My leg day, same as the upper body. I'm doing heavy sled push, focusing on the hip extension, heavy barbell hip thrust. Um, I think I said thrust, um, hip sled, um, so prowler sled, hip thrust. Um, I've been doing a lot of squat lately. I've been loving the front squat more than the back squat. The front squat keeps me upright better, and it's a great way to increase the quad activation. And I'd like to argue that it's even more functional because you're upright, your core is engaged more. You're not really act most of the time when you squat down, especially athletics, you're sitting down, you're going down, and your upper body is up. When you do that back squat, a lot of times you see the anterior pelvic tilt causing the chest to kind of lean forward a little more. You don't stay as upright. And that's good in a sense because it increases your hip moment arm, your hip extension moment arm, which will increase your gluteal activation. But that's not how we functionally go about things. I mean, think about how you sit down and stand up in a chair. When you sit down to uh, sit down in a chair, and I'm going to do it right now, I go straight down. I don't go down and back. I go straight down. So that's where the front squat's been nice. Been doing a lot of walking lunges. Really like the walking lunge. Um, just really focusing on those heavy compound lifts. The only lower body isolation movement I do regularly is Nordic hamstring curls. And I do those because they're hard and awesome as an exercise. Uh, they really kick your butt. And the only upper body isolation movement I keep in my training regularly is the barbell bicep curl. 
The reason I do that one is I, again, three to five reps max, very low rep range, high weight. So I've always had weakness in my biceps and I always, especially in pull-ups, I favor my back, which is fine. But what I've noticed is as I do heavy bicep curls and increase the strength of my biceps, not the size, but the strength, I'm better at doing things like pull-ups. I'm also more stable in something like a overhead press because we know the biceps plays a role in stabilizing the shoulder joint as well as flexing it, so moving it forward anteriorly. Now, I think I mentioned that this is not just about strength, but it's about size. Lifting heavier will literally get you better at everything. So you're going to get stronger, but you're also going to gain more muscular size. And going back, this is another thing that Pavel uh, touches on and discusses in detail. He said these heavy loads, you're relying on the muscle adaptation, the size gain of the muscle itself, the contractile elements, actin and myosin. You might remember those from biology class. They're literally getting larger. And because they're growing, they're able to exert more force. Now, when you're doing that high rep uh, lower weight work, so 15 to 20 rep range, 25 reps, uh, pretty much anything over 12 to 15, you're starting to see diminishing effects of that. And the effect you see is called cellular swelling. So you're going to increase your blood flow and nutrient delivery and all of that to a muscle, which can be useful at times. But again, our goal right now is strength gain. Get stronger and get bigger. And while that cellular swelling, again, good for some things, not good for strength gain. We want to target those contractile elements specifically. We don't want the pumped up kind of look because what happens, think bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is a great example for this. They go to the gym, they get pumped up, then they walk out and then hour later, start to deflate in a lot of cases. Why do you think before they go out onto the stage for posing and uh, they're uh, basically the figure modeling that they do in bodybuilding, why do you think they're hitting up bicep curls and front plate raises and lateral raises? They're pumping up up all the muscles real quick right before to get the blood flow. Um, You know, I've heard it called like a balloon animal almost. And, you know, I'm not here to bash bodybuilding, but I am here to say if you want to get strong, bodybuilding might not be the best way for you. I've tried bodybuilder splits before in the past. That's why I was doing my freshman, sophomore year at college. I was hitting every muscle group once a week. And when I was hitting it, I was taking it all the way to exhaustion. I was doing about 20 sets per body part. And I was starting with, you know, bench press, maybe some dips on, say, a chest day. And then I would go into some flies. I'd do cable flies. I'd do dumbbell flies, really squeezing and contracting each time. I'd throw in some machine exercises. Guess what? I wasted all that time because I didn't get anywhere. I did not gain strength. I did not gain any size. I didn't really go anywhere with it. And now I've made more progress in six weeks than I did in an entire year in the past. And again, it's just coming from focusing on 
these heavy compound movements. These are functional movement patterns, things everyone should be able to do. And if you can't do them, this is a great plug for my future career as a physical therapist right now. We can help you uh, because we're human movement specialists. So if you have dysfunction in the squat, if you can't sit down and stand up properly, then there's something going on and you should get it checked out. If you can't do an overhead press without pain, if you can't reach up overhead all the way without pain, then you've got something going on. And these are things that you should get addressed instead of avoiding them. So some people say, you know, it hurts when I squat, so I don't do it. And instead, I'll just go to do the, go do the leg press. That's all well and good. But how often in life are you laying on your back, pushing something off with your legs? More often than not, you're sitting down and standing up and doing that kind of movement pattern. And I'm talking about loading the squat here. But if back squat is your issue, there's other variations. Front squat, zercher squat. You could even find a way to load the goblet squat or a cable squat. There are so many other ways to do this. It's not just a black and white, oh, I can't back squat, therefore I should not squat. So the other thing when it comes to easy strength, and I'm going to pick on Pavel again, but I'm also going to reference our core training podcast from July. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I would go back and give that one a listen because we talked about the importance of things like the pelvic floor and the diaphragm in the core. And we talked extensively about the active plank. And I've even mentioned this on Instagram a few times, how so many people are planking incorrectly. When it comes to any exercise, your first goal should be tensing and activating as many muscles as you can. So if you're going to do your bicep curl, for example, before you start curling that weight, I want you to squeeze your glutes. I want your quads contracted. I want you driving your feet into the floor. I want your core tight. I want tension throughout your body. Doing that in any lift, bench press, squat, deadlift, whatever. You're building tension internally inside the body. That tension creates stability. And the more stable you are, the more you're going to be able to lift. So you've probably heard uh, in that podcast, I think we talked about it a bit actually, proximal stability allowing for distal mobility. Well, your body has these different serape effects, uh, they're called, and it's connections, continuous connections of tendinous sheaths. So one thing connects to the next, to the next, to the next. It's kind of like a chain in that sense. You have one in the front of your body, so anterior, and one in the back of your body, posterior. And these involve all different muscles connecting to your core. The core is that midsection. Again, that podcast was all about the core. And it's so crucial for every exercise. Even pull-ups. Pull-ups, you know, you're hanging off of a pull-up bar. But yet, have you ever met someone who's really good at pull-ups that does 20, 30 reps of pull-ups consistently or heavy-weighted pull-ups that doesn't have a lot of strength in their core. Personally, I haven't. So being able to tense and keep the core strong allows you to lift more across the board. And being able to increase that intra-abdominal pressure through strength in the pelvic floor and being able to take a deep diaphragmatic breath into the abdomen to, again you're going to um, decrease that volume through changing the, press, the pressure of your body internally. Being able to do that leads to so much more strength. 
throughout the board, um, across the board. So whether it's bench press, squat, deadlift, uh, again, you know, I'm just trying to run through this quick here, but that podcast, we really broke this down very clear cut step-by-step for you. So that's something I would reference if you haven't already, but that has been something I've been doing a lot of is when I train my core, it's high load, low reps. When I train my core, it's active. It's full tension. I'm not holding a plank for three or four minutes because right now I couldn't plank that long the way I've been planking. Holding my core tight, doing deep diaphragmatic breathing the whole time, tensing my quads, driving my feet into the floor, driving my hands into the floor. It's very active. And you can even throw a little side-to-side shifting in there if you want it to be even more active. Very difficult. So that's how we gain strength with exercise. Now, there's other things that I've been doing. Um, One of them is eating very clean and eating a lot. Um, So I have been eating a slight surplus lately. I usually do about 500 calorie surplus per day. I don't really track my calories that accurately. I'm not sitting here like, okay, this egg was 70 calories, this egg was 70 calories, I put 10 calories in and the spinach, and I'm not doing all that. I like to approximate. And the reason I do that is because I don't think we have an accurate means of tracking how much we burn. I know people are going to say, okay, well, you know, I've seen these resting metabolic rate calculators online and all that. And yes, those are a good way to estimate, but the keyword there is estimate. So I'll explain here a little bit. So on Tuesday, Monday, I can't remember when it was, um, one of my friends and I, we were doing the same workout, same workout. I finished after an hour and five minutes, my watch said that I burned 310 calories. My friend's watch said he burnt 1,200 calories, four times the amount that I did. Whose was right? You can try and look at, well, you know, this watch is better than that one, whatever. But in reality, the watches are not all that accurate. They can be up to, I think, 50% off or 60% off. Um, I forget the number. One of my professors in the past actually looked into this as a research study at one point, but they can be pretty inaccurate. So I would guess it's somewhere in the middle, but somewhere in the middle of 300 to 1200 is quite the range. So I like to base it on how I feel. And basically I'll eat. And um, if I'm full, don't feel like eating anymore, I won't. But then at night, before I get to that point, I've learned... About 45 minutes after I eat dinner, I feel full, I'm good. So about 15 minutes after I eat dinner, before I feel full, I sneak in one of my smoothies, which uh, I need to do a podcast on my smoothie recipe because it is phenomenal. Lots of superfoods, organic cacao, organic beetroot, uh, lots of different things in there, and I've had incredible effects from this, but ultimately one of the biggest things that I've added in there is casein protein powder, so a slow digesting trickle feed kind of protein for the nighttime because I'm intermittent fasting, so I'm going 18, 19 hours a day without food. So having that slow trickle feed of protein 
throughout a longer period of time has really helped me to gain strength. And that takes me into the point that I really wanted to get to um, here, which was supplement myths. I keep seeing people on Instagram, Facebook, promoting all kinds of different supplements. And supplements do have a point and a purpose. That purpose is to fill nutritional voids that exist in your diet. So for example, I'm taking that casein protein powder at night. If I wasn't taking the casein protein powder, I would be eating cottage cheese at night in order to get the same amount of casein. I don't really enjoy cottage cheese, and even if I did, I'm sure I would pair it with something, you know, fruit or honey or something along those lines in order to get it down, Um, which there's nothing wrong with fruit, but I'm very particular on what kind of fruit I eat. I like the organic and wild variations, and I have no problems paying extra to get those. And I, again, lots of new podcast topics here for the future. I will someday break down why I choose wild blueberries, for example, over regular blueberries. But there's people that I know that are spending 100 plus dollars a month on supplements, when in reality, you really don't need to be spending that much. What you need to do is look at how you're going about your day-to-day practice, day-to-day habit. Track yourself for a week and then think, what am I not getting across my daily life? Am I not getting enough protein? Okay, maybe I should consume a protein supplement. Am I not getting enough probiotics? Maybe I should add a probiotic. Am I missing you know, some of this vitamin? If I'm missing vitamin D, maybe I should take more vitamin D. Missing vitamin C, I should take more vitamin C. That's the kind of approach to supplementation is filling the voids that exist in your nutrition. Instead, the industry has blown it out of proportion to be a cure-all, fix-all for everything. You can supplement to fix this and that and everything. Some of this is good because some of it is true and scientifically backed and researched. Some of it, on the other hand, not so good. They're making claims on stuff that has no research base and no evidence, which I'm not a big fan of. So, for example, one of the things I am a fan of is creatine monohydrate because studies, and again, I'm going to link to some in the show notes, so you can cross-check me on this if you want to. Five grams of creatine monohydrate, five grams of creatine mono after your workout every day. Phenomenal results. Creatine has been studied for decades very safe, very effective. Creatine monohydrate gets a thumbs up from me. Now, some of these other things I'm seeing right now, like I keep seeing super pre-workout blends with like all kinds of caffeine, citrulline, beta alanine, all this other stuff. And I am kind of torn on pre-workouts. And I have not seen any research. And if you know some, then please send it to me because I would love to see some of this, I have never seen anyone compare the effects of a pre-workout to a placebo. I've never seen anyone look at, you know, the exact formulation or blend of one pre-workout compared to a placebo. And these things have caffeine, beta-alanine, citrulline, all these different things in them. And they're promoting the effects of them based on one thing. 
So they'll promote the effects of the pre-workout. The pre-workout will energize you because of the caffeine in it. That's great. We know caffeine in isolation does that. But we also know caffeine in isolation causes vasoconstriction. So instead of dilating your blood vessels and making them larger, it shrinks them. So we know that citrulline and arginine, two other common ingredients in pre-workouts, are vasodilators. We know that. They act in isolation. We've tested that. That's true. They dilate blood vessels. They act via the nitric oxide cycle. But what effect do those vasodilators have when we compare them at, or when we give them at the same time as caffeine, which is a vasoconstrictor? I don't know. I haven't seen any research that looks into that. And again, if you have something along those lines available and ready, please send it to me because I would love to see it. Additionally, we think of carnitine. Carnitine is added to a lot of different um, supplements, especially pre-workouts. It's supposed to be energizing. This was something that I actually took myself for a long period of time because the research was looking good for promoting mitochondrial health and heart health. It was allowing free fatty acid transport to occur. Good thing. Bad thing. It was also leading to fat accumulation in the blood vessels, which when I thought about it, it kind of made sense. If you're breaking down body fat and trying to move it places, then you're going to have more fat in your blood vessels. So the solution from my standpoint was to stop taking the supplement and let my body handle all that and do all that naturally because I didn't really need it. I could maintain a 7 or 8% body fat with proper diet. So that's one that I keep seeing people fall into the trap of is, and I myself fell into the trap for that matter until I did even more research and saw new studies come out, was carnitine, although it looked good, and it was being promoted for fat loss and heart health, in reality, it might not be good for your blood vessels, which I'm pretty sure your heart connects to those. So I wouldn't be taking that for heart health personally. And again, I'm going to link to all the studies on this in the show notes. So please feel free to double check me. And if I do end up missing one, just shoot me a message, email, and I will get it to you and updated as soon as I can. And uh, another one I'll touch on real quick is CLA or conjugated lineolic acid. This is another one. A lot of people take it because it is supposed to block the um, absorption or block the storage of fat in your body. I've never actually seen the exact mechanism for this one, um, but essentially I'm told it blocks fat from being stored, stored in your body. But the thing is, fat has to go somewhere or carbs have to go somewhere. So I've been told that this goes to fatty liver disease. And I've seen some research that might support this is CLA would lead to fatty liver disease if you're taking too much, too long, that sort of thing. So the question on my mind is, what effect are all these supplements and artificial ingredients? That's another thing I'll touch on real quick. Artificial ingredients, you heard me talk about them back in the nutrition podcast. Artificial colors, flavors, sweeteners, all of those different things. That's a mess. Don't put those in your body. That artificial trio, I think I said before, it's like the perfect storm for 
uh, metabolic dysfunction and gut health dysfunction and cancers and all kinds of awful things. So we avoid that, but it's very prevalent in different supplements. Um, but my big question is what effect will all these supplements that people are taking have on them 10 years down the line, 20, 30 years down the line? We have never seen the supplement industry as ex- as big and it's exploded lately. It's a billion dollar industry. Look back 20 years ago, it was not this way. It was some chalky, awful tasting whey protein powder and some Flintstones multivitamins. Now we've got, you know, th- how many thousands of brands of pretty much everything. It's unreal how large it's gotten. And this is one of the services I actually offer to my clients is supplement review and protocol review. Basically, what you're taking and why you're taking what you are. So if you're taking away protein and it's because you don't consume enough protein, okay, makes sense. But while we're at it, let's dive into the source. Where did you get your whey protein from? So this is starting to look into the companies a little bit. Where's the company based out of? Some other countries, um, specifically China, and I don't want to get into this too much, but China's standards for quality are much lower than what we see in America. So as a result, the Chinese protein powders are much lower cost, but they're also much more contaminated with things like heavy metals. And a lot of the common protein powders I see people buying tend to be contaminated with heavy metals. And you can look up different lab certifications and rankings online for different powders. Um, But one of the things I come back to is like, you know, source your protein. So if you're sourcing it from a company that does transparent label, grass-fed, cow source, uh, different things like that, then you're probably going to be looking at a much higher quality than, you know, the cheap stuff you got off the shelf at your local department store or pharmacy or something like that. So really look into the quality of what you're taking, why you're taking it. um, And with that, don't fall for what I would call the influencer BS. And this is why I don't consider myself to be a fitness influencer and you don't see me posting about supplements 24-7. A lot of these people, they get paid when they make sales. So as a result, they're going to keep pushing the supplements. When in reality, I'm not saying all of them, but I know at least some of them are also doing some other things like anabolic steroids, growth hormone, that sort of thing. And they're doing those because the aesthetic appeal that they get from it helps them sell the supplements as, look what I do to get here. And people believe it because they're seeing it. It looks like a person just like them, and all of a sudden they're getting amazing results from spending 200 bucks a month on supplements. When in reality, those people are getting paid for you to buy those supplements, and they're just going to do anabolics or something similar in order to make sure they can keep selling. You know, that's kind of a easy path to money for them. And again, that's not everyone, but I know it has happened in the past and I've seen people doing stuff like that. They do a lot of Photoshopping and picture and video editing and, you know, perfect lighting, perfect angle, all of that. And I'm not here for that. I'm here for transparency. So although I do have something like a discount link for AdvoCare, 
in my link tree or a discount link for, I don't know if it's there yet, but it should be soon, um, Fit Strong supplements in my link tree. I'm not spending all my time promoting all of their products to all different people and my clients. Supplements, and this goes with everything, nothing is a one size fits all. So how should I, how can I promote one supplement that might work for me, but it might not work for my client? I have a hard time doing that. The only time I'll promote it is if it's something that I think is really good and groundbreaking. So for Fit Strong and Advocare, for example, I love their nighttime recovery supplements. Nighttime recovery and sleep. Yeah, sleep, uh, nighttime sleep aid. I'm holding my Fit Strong bottle in my hand right now. Great supplements. I don't like all of their pre-workout blends. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Fit Strong has one called Geek Sauce. And I didn't really care for the artificial flavoring and coloring and sweetening in it. Now that was me. Maybe it works really well for one of you. I'm not going to promote it. It didn't work well for me. But I will promote Fit Strong because their sleep supplement worked very well for me. So I will say, look, you know, this is something I've taken. I have, you know, had positive results. I really like this company. I've reached out to them and they're really great to work with. If you have any issues, their customer service uh, team stands by uh, them. They're all made in the USA and they have pretty quality stuff, clean stuff. So in that sense, yeah, I would recommend them. But, you know, again, I wouldn't recommend everything that they sell to every person. But I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing. So, last point. One of the things I just said. Nothing is a one-size-fits-all approach. That's the importance of custom training. So, if you're having issues with your workouts, your fitness programs, your nutrition, whatever, feel free to reach out to brawnbody at brawnbody on Instagram or brawnbodytraining.com online and we can help you troubleshoot those areas whether it's just a consult or eliminating the guesswork and doing full movement screens and full programming for you just kind of eliminating that guesswork and customizing everything to you and what you will need in order to do better and perform better and start seeing more performance gains or strength gains or whatever you're after. Now, obviously, that's something I firmly believe in and stand for, but it makes it hard, as a result, to do pre-built programs for people. So, as you may have heard, we are finishing up a glute training program, and basically this is focused on legs and leg training, and it's very similar to things that I do uh, in my workouts, so squats and lunges and hip thrusts and that sort of thing, and it's a little more than just clamshells and donkey kickbacks, but in order to do this, I really had to dive in deep because not everyone is the same, and a lot of these programs, the thing I cannot stand about them is that they give you one workout program and think it's going to work for everyone. So although this is one program, there's going to be a lot of different avenues and components to it that will kind of help uh, different people at different stages of working out or who have different issues to um, work through them. So maybe some people have glutes that respond very well to training. 
Some people, they can't feel their glutes working when they're doing a squat or a hip thrust. They have issues contracting them. Maybe some people have poor mobility and they can't do a full range of motion squat. I'm trying to eliminate all the guesswork in one go in one program. And again, I'm trying to make sure everything is accounted for. So as a result, you end up with this kind of tree where you have the main program being the trunk and then you have all these different branches all these different pathways that you can take going off of it but in the end you're still going to get to the same spot which is above better than you started so we're wrapping up and putting the finishing touches on that program uh i've had some issues because i've got some grad school exams grad school life kind of gets you sometimes and i think this podcast might get pushed to being released later on Wednesday just because I have an exam Wednesday morning, which is usually when I do my audio editing and quality check and all that sort of thing um, because I do this all myself, which it's a little more work than you might uh, expect at some times. Um, but we will be giving away a copy of this glute training program after we hit 1,000 followers on Instagram. So be sure to check out and watch our Instagram feed in order to get an exact update on when that will be occurring. Uh, But definitely something you don't want to miss out on because I guarantee this is a program like no other. And after we finalize the program itself and finalize our own testing, because again, I'm not going to give you exercises or workouts unless I've done them before. So I literally am only giving you things that I've done or that I am doing right now, uh, doing a lot of leg and glute work lately. So again, great gray sweatpants season is here. Um, But I'm doing a lot of these things to make sure everything is right and good for this program. So if you aren't one of the lucky winners of it, we will be selling it online again in the near future. So stay tuned more to come. And if you can't wait that long, feel free to reach out to us and inquire about custom programming, custom workouts, all that. One more time, giving a little plug for that. Because again, I can take all these same principles that I'm currently using to build this program and just apply them to you and your current situation. So with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Feel free to like, subscribe, and share with friends who enjoyed it uh, or who might enjoy it. And have a great rest of your day. Thank you.